yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara egornamian on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler. Later on today's show, I'll be joined by two promising young tech entrepreneurs to discuss their decision to move their startup from Dublin to Barcelona because of the rental crisis here. But first, I'm joined by my producer, Tabitha Monaghan. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm very well. Now, each week we're going to be taking a closer look at some of the big stories hitting the headlines in tech. And this week we've decided it's actually all about the energy crisis and data centers and how to protect yourself this winter, right? There's very little else going on, isn't there, really? Everything is all about energy crisis at the moment. Energy, 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 energy. And data centers is at the center of that. And it was. We were here around this time last year as well. We were going into another winter of discontent in 2021. And we had a chat about data centers on the big tech show. But it was more about climate change and that. But now there's more of a focus because of the amount of electricity that they're using. Yeah, absolutely. So... Let's put this in perspective. So data centers use about 14% of all of Ireland's energy at the moment. That's about the same as all rural homes combined. Now, it's an incredible fact. And Airgrid is saying that that could double by the end of the decade. Now, the reason they use so much energy is that I don't know if you've ever seen a, a data center uh, Tabitha, no. have you ever been to one? No. Okay, it's a giant building, typically on the outskirts of a city like Dublin, with racks and racks of huge computer servers uh, going 24 hours a day. And we have about 75 of them in Ireland, which is, I'd say, the most per head of population in the EU. So it's a real disproportionate draw on the grid here. It's like Why is that though? Well, if you look at our environment, for example, one of the reasons there are so many um, data centers in Ireland is unfortunately we actually have the the best climate here in terms of cooling a, a data center. Now, if you want to build something to to cool your racks of servers, uh, and you want to do it in somewhere where the rest of your tech infrastructure m- might be, Ireland is just a very very good place to do it. And so you said that we're disproportionate. Is that is another reason for that? Because we have these big tech firms like Google and Facebook. They're setting up the European headquarters here. Is that why they also have so many data centers here? Or could it arguably be anywhere in the EU? 
It could be anywhere in the EU, but they are definitely correlated. So the last time I interviewed Microsoft President Brad Smith, for example, he painted a picture of Microsoft building up its entire European and EMEA base here, partially because it decided to put its data centers here. Amazon Web Services, which is one of the biggest uh, data uh, platforms in the world, exact same thing. They've got over 2,000 people here now. TikTok which is moving from two to 3,000 people in Dublin, um, said there are really two reasons that it's building up its presence here. The main one is because Dublin has become a regulatory centre in Europe for technology. And we know that from the Data Protection Commission's office and Facebook and Google and all that stuff. It's also a, a data centre capital as well. And that's very, very important, especially for a company like TikTok, which um, is often under the spotlight as to physically where it holds its data for all the stuff we use. That's not a great thing to be called, though, a data center capital either. Now that we're hearing how much electricity, like you said, that if it's combined the use that rural homes are using in Ireland as well, you don't really want to become the data center capital, do you? Well, it depends how you look at it. So one of the arguments against data centers being located in Ireland is why can't the EU, for example, take its quote unquote fair share? Now, that's really yeah, an argument yeah. about the electricity grid of different countries rather than data centers per se. If you're saying that you think we shouldn't have as many data centers full stop, what you're really actually saying is we shouldn't be using the internet as much because because a data yeah. center is used for Netflix, WhatsApp, you know, online shopping, education, hospital, anything we use the internet for, that's only going to get become more and not less. So really it's an argument about investment in infrastructure. There aren't really many countries in Europe that have the same problems of underinvestment in the grid that Ireland does. Um, and that really is more to the heart of what our uh, problems are here. Now, by the way, that hasn't stopped, um, you know, authorities here, uh, Airgrid, for example, the Commission of Regulation uh, of Utilities as well, saying that essentially um, new data centre uh, connections can't be uh, put on the grid. Um, so there is a moratorium of sorts uh, going on. But really, the argument against data centers is an argument kind of against the internet. That's what I wanted to ask you, though. You were saying about what we use the data centers for. Do you think people generally, I think maybe a lot of our audience will probably know what data centers are used for, but do you think generally, and let's say the Irish public, they understand what data centers are? And then again, we use let's say WhatsApp or TikTok, we're, we're using it all the time. We send a text message and we don't think about it. Or we watch a TikTok video and we don't think about it. Or we send a tweet out and it's just whatever because we think we might think that it's free, but it actually, it does generate energy. Are we becoming maybe a little bit flippant in our use of tech? I think that from my experience in reporting this, it's actually national policy. So if you think about what Ireland has done over the last 10 years, we actually have a 3 billion euro national broadband plan, which whose main aim is to speed up uh, the internet for 550,000 uh, rural homes and get them using more data, more, more. Um, you know, it, the Comrade, the telecoms regulator points out that we, the average amount of data people use on their phones, the average person keeps doubling every three or four years. Heroes of ours like Stripe, their familiar refrain is, we're only 5% into the transition to e-commerce and digital life. The entire metaverse, uh, Facebook's big thing, is hinged 
on the idea of us leading a new uh, commercial and uh, consumer life uh, online, which will use up a lot more data again. So there is a slow data or a less data movement, all right. But like, do people understand that data centers are linked to all of this? I think they do. I think they're just yeah. worried about the lights, uh, uh, the lights staying on. And, you know, why does why does it have to be my lights that go off while a data centers doesn't, you know? Well, can, can that happen? Can they decide that they're going to cut the data centers off from the grid? Not really. Um, now, data centers, not to get too technical, but they do actually have their own backup power facilities. Usually, I think it's diesel generators they use and they're very expensive. Um, so there is a, a regulated per se uh, system for data centers, you know, a maximum amount that they can use it with it within the grid. And it's not like whole towns will be blacked out and the data centers will keep going. That is a narrative that is painted. It's mostly untrue. It's not completely untrue, but it is mostly untrue in that that wouldn't actually happen. The real problem here is just underinvestment in the grid. And, and that's a very difficult one to sell politically, isn't it? It's like trying yeah. to argue that you need to spend two or three billion euro fixing the water pipes when, you know, some town doesn't have a railway or another town doesn't have a hospital, yeah. you know? Yeah, completely. There's something you mentioned there. You were talking about blackouts and you were talking about lights going out. And something that you've been writing this week for the Irish Independent is a bit of a tech prepper's guide to blackouts and how to, to minimise the impact of a blackout if it does happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the word prepper is an interesting one. Uh, I think we used in the, <laughs> might have used in the headline. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily associate myself with that, but yeah. So you might be worried about blackouts and outages more so uh, this winter. There's a few things that I've been writing about. The big one that you're probably too late to do something about, you could just about do something in time, are solar panels. We've talked about that before. They can be quite yeah. expensive, but even even two or three solar panels on your roof, um, you know, combined with a fairly modest battery could actually get you through an hour or two, you know, keep the lights on, maybe, you know, keep the TV on, keep the Wi-Fi going uh, more than anything else. That might be something for people who are already thinking about getting mm. solar panels. They might be almost there, ready to go, and they just mm. want to, they, now it's time to just hit that button, go and do it. I think a lot of people will have that button. I mean, it used to be about 15 years was the estimated payback. Now it's like six or seven with the prices of energy at the moment, but you'll still be looking at several thousand euro for that. You're not going to get away with that for under five or six thousand euro yeah. um, even with the, the grants a few basic things that can help you a large power bank we're all used to the small power banks the ones that you sometimes bring on holidays with you for your phone a large one um like for, from energizer or jackery or, or EcoFlow. that these cost you know four five six seven hundred euro but they come not only with usb ports but three pin plug sockets um, and they will do things, not just like phones and laptops, but they'll do things like internet routers or kettles, even microwaves. So again, they will get you through an hour or two um, of an outage. Let's say you decide to charge it now. So you're going to buy that power bank. You're going to spend the three, four, five hundred euro, whatever it's going to be. If I charge it now and I go and I put it in a box and I put it away just in case, when I come to it and the electricity is gone, is that power still going to be in that power bank? Yeah, they hold their charge really, really well. So the degradation okay. of one of those uh, reserves, it's probably no more than about 10% every three or four weeks, uh, maybe. So you might want to top it up once a month, once every two months. But generally speaking, 
they hold uh, their charge very well. One I liked the idea of was these wind-up lamps that you had. Mm. These like camping lamps that you can bring. Yeah, they're cheap. 30, 20 really euro, simple. 30 euro. Very simple. They mostly work on kind of a, a coil spring type apparatus. And if you, like, you, you'll crank one of them up. If you crank it sufficiently, you can get, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes of light for fully cranked lamp. You'll get a few on Amazon, for example. There's one I picked out called Thurfire LED Camping Lantern, which is 28 euro. And some of them even will let you give your phone a bit of a recharge once you you, you crank them up as well. So pretty handy. And I suppose to say as well that we aren't saying for sure that the blackouts are happening, but great to have just in case there is an electricity cut. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, our parents and grandparents would have had some backup protection themselves in the 70s and 80s. When I was a kid, I remember the old Super Sur that we we used to have and that my my grandmother used to have. Um, and you'll still see a few of them around. You can still buy them, by the way, the Super Sur. You'll get them from Power City, 150 euro. Um, operates off canisters of butane gas. Um, if you are, you know, really stuck, that can be uh, very, very handy for heat in a particularly cold, uh, c- cold winter. So Tabitha, I think we're going to leave the uh, blackout emergency solutions there. And thanks for joining me on that segment. Coming up next, my guests this week have left Dublin for Barcelona with their startup because they say Ireland is just too expensive. We've co-founders Evan McLaughlin and Kia McNally, who recently graduated from Trinity College and were named in the Sunday Independence 30 Entrepreneurs Under 30 to watch, are just weeks away from closing a €250,000 pre-seed round of funding. But they've decided to run it somewhere else. Dublin, they've concluded, is just too expensive for things like rent and food. Evan McLaughlin and Kia McNally, you're welcome to the podcast. Evan, we'll get to what Weave does in a bit, but why did you decide that Dublin is too expensive? Yeah, look, it wasn't an easy call because we love Dublin and we love the Irish ecosystem. But for an early stage startup, it's all about cost. It's all about keeping your burn rate low. You need to be able to spend as low as possible um, until you can get to a point where you have some traction, you know, because no investor is going to touch you until then. So it's really just about minimizing cost. And the Dublin system is just not set up with that, with, like that at the moment. It just doesn't work. Um, the rent would be far too expensive. The groceries would be far too expensive. And um, we'd be compromising a lot on our life standards by raising the company there, um, which is sad to say. What kind of rents were, were you looking at typically in Dublin? We, we wouldn't even get a four person in, in the city, which is the worst part. You know, it wasn't even a thing. Um, you know, we'd have to spend way above what we could afford to get a four person with, you know, four sort of offices. You know, we need a lot of space to be able to all work here because it's, it's an office as well. Um, I, I really have no idea. You wouldn't even get a four person in Dublin city. And you went, you'd have to go an hour outside and then you might pay something like three and a half, four grand but you know it's, it's just it wasn't even an option when people think of founders starting from scratch sometimes there is this narrative maybe it's a trope of people in their early 20s uh, sleeping on couches or working out of a parent's garage um is that an outdated notion today for a startup well it's kind of funny you say working out of the parent's garage because for the past six months that's exactly what i've been doing is uh well before yeah. this like we we are lucky enough that we could live with our parents and yeah we are in our early 20s and uh, we've no other responsibilities like that but like if we couldn't do that if we did have kids and we did have everything else um we wouldn't have been able to do this for at the start at least like we did spend a good six months and we worked side jobs and we did everything like that and saved up enough that we could move out here to barcelona at a cheaper rent but um I don't know about other people, but I don't think we could have done it if we weren't in our early 20s 
uh, in our parents' garages. Like, do you think others might be in the same position as you from a young startup point of view? Absolutely. As I, as I said, one of the things the the Dublin ecosystem really lacks is that bridge between kind of pre-seed starting off and seed. You know, like the earliest sort of institutional investment you can get in in, in Dublin, you have to be really hitting good milestones. You know, you have to be you have to have a lot of users, a lot of revenue. You have to have a lot of traction and for a lot of companies, it takes 12, 16, 18, 24 months to get there. And most companies don't get there at all. You know, so um, there's a lot of companies in this position and a lot of companies that fail mm-hmm. because the options just don't exist for us to do it. I think we're very privileged that we were able to go out to Barcelona and that suited us. But yeah, I unfortunately think a lot of great companies fail because that early stage funding just doesn't exist for them to be able to live the lives they need to build the company. Yeah. And just on the cost element again, do you think Dublin is considered to be particularly bad? It's terrible. It's absolutely, it's one of the worst, I think it's the worst rent in Europe or one of the highest rents in Europe. It's, it's absolutely insane at the moment. Uh, as I said, Dublin City is just not even an option. To get a four person, you'd have to know somebody or, you know. Yeah, I mean, many people might look at a tech startup raising funding and they might think, well, if anyone can afford skyrocketing Dublin rents, typically it's going to be somebody in that sector or that industry. Now, by all accounts, you're laughing, are you? you, you that, that doesn't well, ring true. Well, it's just the whole, the whole tech startup is a bit of a fallacy because they make no money. They have a real hockey stick growth curve, right? So like a tech startup basically builds nothing for like 12 months and then finally gets something that gets some traction. So... You know, there's still that 12 months where you have to make some money and you don't have a product yet that users are willing to pay for. So, you know, like the tech startup is, you know, for a long time of it, it's a lot less glamorous than it seems from the outside. Just before I leave this, do you, do you feel let down by the country? Um, like, I don't, I don't understand the uh, reasons why that goes into this particularly. So, like, I love Dublin. I really do love Dublin. I hope I can move back and I, I love um, people there and I really do miss it and everything like that. But um, I can't say I understand enough of why it's happening to uh, make a you know, sort of judgment on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd be the same. I wouldn't. I think it's hard to, to hold judgment. Look, that this sort of tech startup um, sort of thing has only really existed for what, like maybe 10 years, but really only in the last sort of five, four, three years sort of thing has, you know, any sort of group of 20 year olds been able to run a tech company. Um, just wasn't possible before. So I understand kind of why the system takes a while to catch up. You know, it'd be hard to expect it, um, especially with such a small group. Now, is there a reason you picked Barcelona instead of, say, London or Berlin or somewhere else? Well, actually, before this, we also spent some time out in Sevilla, which is about the third of uh, the price of Barcelona. So that costs absolutely nothing to live out there. And uh, we lived out there for maybe five or six months, maybe seven, and just spent all the money we had and then came back, saved up more money, went out again. And um, like we're both learning Spanish, we're hoping to tackle the Spanish market in the company. So Spanish speakers learning English, we can go out and we can directly talk to users. We can uh, just understand the market a lot better and practice our Spanish and be learning language. We're a language learning company. We think we need to be language learners at the same time and Mm. be engaging in that. Uh, And Barcelona is quite cheap. It's a lot cheaper than Dublin and, you know, a lot cheaper than London. So there's lots of reasons, to be honest. There is a big setup here in the tech space as well. You know, there's lots of accelerators. There's a good community. There's there's a great opportunity for us to network. You know, since the article came out, um, I can't believe how many people have reached out saying, you know, I, I run a tech company in Barcelona. Let me let's get a coffee. I'll show you around. You know, there 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 is a big community element here that gives us an opportunity. There's to life and old media yet, guys. Um, and <laughs> tell me about Weave as a startup as an app. Tell me what you do. So Weave is a language learning company. 
first off. Um, so we take a slightly different approach to learning languages. What we do is we weave foreign words into your native tongue so that you can read that translated word in the context of an English sentence. So the idea is that you're using the language you know as sort of a scaffold for the language you don't know. And this really works because the brain is wired this way. You know, you're, we expect people just to read and then absorb the language subconsciously. Mm. That's kind of what we're all about. Here. So, for example, I happen to be reading Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers at the moment, completely coincidentally. I did see that cited as an example of maybe a 20 minute read where you might stitch in wor words from the lang language you want to learn of your choice into yeah. that. Is that how it works? Yeah, like, for example, the title Talking to Strangers would be Hablando to Strangers. And Hablando means talking or, yeah. So um, we would just insert the Spanish word inside the English sentence so you can pick that up through context. Mm. Instead of the dog, I was walking my dog down the road, I was walking my perro down the road. Mm. And you can just, you can listen to it like an audiobook. you can read it, you can click on the word, you can find out what it means. We track all the words you've learned and we try to get you from knowing absolutely no words to be able to watch TV and speak and have enough words that you can engage with the Spanish speaking world, basically. And there's a slider, is there, at the bottom of the screen that allows you to vary between the, the, the number of foreign words you want to see? Yeah, so... At the moment. At the moment. So you can currently basically decide whatever difficulty you want to be on. You can have a 20% in Spanish, 100% in Spanish, 70% in Spanish. But we're going to start moving that toward knowing what your level is, seeing what words you understand, and dynamically putting that, those in. So giving you a sense of progression towards whatever goal you want. Say you want to get really good at the IELTS exam. We, we can make a path for you to go from nothing to IELTS using the word list that the IELTS exam takes in. And um, you always at least be able to read books you want to read instead of having to read things like Johnny walked down the road, he bought something from the shop. You can read Talking to Strangers and be progressing towards your language proficiency. So that's what we're doing. I often feel we do a little bit of that with Irish and English, for example. Certainly, if you're trying to speak Irish these days, we go into Gwaltok there a lot of the time. They'll weave English words exactly. uh, a lot into it, maybe for maybe for a different reason. But um, it, it's quite an interesting effect, the the the, the combination of the two. Um, Where did you get the idea for this? Um, well, I've I've just been really into language learning in the past, say, six years. And uh, also, I did a, I did a psychology degree. And lots of the research I was just doing in psychology was language learning, language learning, language learning. And I found that basically the, um, the way we learn languages is we pick them up when we hear something in context that we understand. And the more we enjoy what we're reading or listening to, we, it, it's ingrained much deeper. So basically, if you understand something really well and you enjoy what you're listening to, then it'll just instantly basically be remembered. And if you don't, it won't. So I thought, OK, what if we maximize understanding? and we maximize uh, enjoyment for beginners. And we get the, your favorite story and make the context all in English. So uh, you completely pick it up through context. Then beginners could learn faster than ever before because the two most important metrics are maxed out. I tried it myself with Swedish and I was able to learn like 500 Swedish words in a week or two. And I could understand them when I read them in actual Swedish books. I said, oh my God, I need to do something about this. So I went to Evan and we got cracking, to be honest. And 
we haven't stopped since about two years ago. And you hope to raise a million euros soon. Is that right? It'd be nice. Well, so so we're in a yeah, it would be nice. So we're in a <laughs> we're in a pre-seed funding round at the moment, just so we can we can build up our tech. You know, the app was only launched about eight weeks ago, and every single week mm -hmm. it's unrecognizable from the last week. So we just want to extend out that runway so that we can go into those negotiations and, you know, being able to not give as much of the company up. You know, we're we're really thinking about this in long terms. We want to we want to grow this thing for five, six, seven years. So if we can extend out the runway before a big raise, we can give up less of the company and keep a bit more ownership. Um, and we really think we'll be able to do that because we're we're moving at a very fast pace and the customers are really, really liking what we're doing at the moment. So, yeah, we're very excited and we're very optimistic about the raise. And in terms of how to get hold of this or, or what you would have to pay or, you know, how you would use it, can you explain that to me? So it's free at the moment, but it won't be forever. Um, right now you have untethered access to the full app. We're, we're still um, ironing out a few bugs. We're still figuring some things out. But, you know, very shortly, um, there'll be a standard sort of freemium model um, where you'll pay to unlock all of the all of the app. And then there'll be some features that will be locked, like like any sort of uh, standard subscription that you pay. That will probably be rolled out in a month. So if you want to get it for free, I get downloading pretty quick. OK, uh, and just to point out, there are four co-founders, aren't there? I think uh, Aaron Connolly and Ushin Marn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Aaron's our head of design and Ushin's our CTO. So, um, yeah, those are the other two. They're not here right now, fortunately. <laughs> well, Evan McLaughlin and Keen McAnally, uh, comfortably and warmly ensconced in Barcelona, where you can get a coffee for two euro and a beer for three. And thank you very much for talking to us today on The Big Tech Show. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks a million. And from me, Adrian Wackley, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, you have been listening to The Big Tech Show. Uh, with thanks also to Gavin Hennessy on sound and Tabitha Monaghan, who produced. We will talk to you the same time next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.